The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of Crown Point Baptist Church and Pastor Mark Ermler. Looking at 2 Chronicles chapter number 33 this morning. And we are coming really close to the end of our series on the danger of stepping out of the will of God. And what we've really been looking at is the, the kings of Judah and their lives both inside and outside of the will of God. And I'm praying that we would be able to personally apply some of the truth that we have studied together and recognize that there is a way uh, where we can get sidestepped from being exactly where God wants us to be as well as there is always a way back. And I don't think it's ever more clearly shown in Scripture than in the life of King Manasseh. Now, Manasseh is one of these characters, when you read the Scripture, you just shake your head and you go, what happened to that boy? Manasseh is the son of godly King Hezekiah. And Hezekiah was a king whose heart was after the Lord. Matter of fact, Hezekiah was instrumental to bringing a national revival to the land of Judah. Several weeks ago when we were looking here at uh, Hezekiah's life, we saw that his dad was as despicable a king as Israel had seen since, really, Ahab. And on the throne as um, a, a ruler, Hezekiah's dad led the people of Judah into the worst kinds of sin imaginable. Matter of fact, he erected idols all over the land, uh, idols that dealt with uh, uh, really human sexuality. They were gods that were given over here to the flesh, and he worshipped and brought that paganism into the national spotlight. Uh, There was no shame during the days of Ahaz. Uh, There was no propriety. There was no morality. It was godless in every way that you can imagine. And the worship to the pagan gods included human sacrifice. Matter of fact, it wasn't just any human we're talking about. We're talking about your own children. That's how bad Ahaz was. And so when Hezekiah, as a 25-year-old, comes to the forefront as the king of Judah... Instantly, he has a heart to turn things around. And uh, as we looked at God's word, we saw here uh, Hezekiah's uh, heart uh, to rectify really what his dad had uh, taken and uh, destroyed. So there was a fresh start, we learned, in uh, Hezekiah's life as uh, he wanted to go a totally different direction. Uh, They removed all the filth from the temple. Remember, he brought the paganism into the house of God. And so the filth had to be removed. He was willing to repent for the sins of his father. And uh, he was also now focused on a brand new obedience to the Lord. Not only for those two tribes, the southern tribes, that he was the king over, but he also had a burden for Israel, who had already gone off into captivity because of the Assyrian. And uh, the Assyrian army had come in and captured them and taken them away. And so this is the dynamic of what's going on uh, during Hezekiah's young life. And God used Hezekiah in a marvelous way to spark a national revival. And by the way, we need a national revival today. 
And it begins with individuals. It begins here when people recognize that God is on the throne and that we need to get our lives in line with His Word, not try to get His Word uh, and make it malleable to, to make it fit our lives. Isn't that how we are today? We want the Word of God to fit us instead of us fit the Word of God. We want to change God, or we want to change God's Word instead of allowing the Word of God to transform us. And that's the need of the hour, to be transformed by God and God's word in us. So this character of Manasseh we're going to look at in the next two Sundays. And I want you to get both halves because today you're going to get the the pure ugliness of the life of Manasseh. You're going to see a king that is going to be as wicked as any king ever could be. But next Sunday, you're going to see God do a miracle of all miracles. You've never seen a king go so low, and you'll never see a king repent and turn back like old Manasseh did. It's, it's unbelievable. For you that would say, how far low do you have to go before God uh, will forgive you? I want to remind you of what the word Manasseh means. <laughs> it means forgiveness. And I want you to know that Manasseh learned the forgiveness of God when he turned his heart to the Lord. And yet today, take out your insert in your bulletin. You've got some notes. Let's follow along here as uh, we look at stepping out of the will of God. The prodigal king. Uh, Here, the Old Testament equivalent uh, to uh, a king that ought to know better. A king that was raised in a godly environment, and yet he turned his back on everything that he ever learned. So here we are in 2 Chronicles chapter 33. Follow along, verse number 1. The Bible says, Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 50 and 5 years in Jerusalem. Now, there's a companion passage. It's the, the, the book of 1 Kings. And when you read about Manasseh in 1 Kings 21, it's kind of alarming because you don't get the revival aspect. You don't get his turning around. All you get is the ugliness of Manasseh and his reign. And so if you want a, a, a picture, we'll give you a little highlights here this morning. But if you want a picture of the drags that Manasseh went down to as the leader of his nation you can get the full picture by combining second chronicles 33 with first kings chapter number 21 and it gives you the unvarnished look at uh, this king manasseh so he's 12 years old put that somewhere in your mind and think about a 12 year old that you know all right this is what makes the story so unbelievable because A 12-year-old is going to cause havoc in a nation and undo every good thing that his dad ever did. A 12-year-old is going to take the throne and he's going to dismantle piece by piece anything that resembles God. Anything that was revolving around the worship of Yahweh. Anything here that was where people were turning their hearts to God in revival, he worked diligently brick by brick to tear it down. His hatred for the things of God is quite clear as we just see that he is full-blown in rebel mode. All right. So here in the scripture, verse 2 says, But did that which was evil 
in the sight of the Lord. I mean, that word evil is a strong word. Here, you, you say, can a 12-year-old be evil? I'm telling you, a sin nature is a sin nature. And here's a 12-year-old boy that to the core, God said, is evil. We've got we've to recognize this. God allows us to rear children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord that until their little hearts are transformed by the power of God, they're sinners that need a Savior. All right? And uh, sometimes we're just content to have the outside look good without a change of heart. You know, our children's ministry here is not focused on the outside. The ministry here is focused on the changing of the heart. Because when the heart changes, everything changes. Right? If you're just trying to get somebody looking right on the outside and then inside, it's, it's a sepulcher is what Jesus said. Uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's a tomb. And, and God is desiring for us to see that he wants to work with people of any age and you can either be for God or against God. You can be a rebel or a living revival. Here Manasseh chooses living the rebel life. And so the scripture tells us in verse number uh, 2, But he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, like unto the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. You've got to go back to the days of Joshua. You've got to go back to when they came through those 40 years in the wilderness. They've crossed over the Jordan River. Now they're in the land of Canaan. And we see that there's nation after nation that God's going to overthrow because the iniquity was full. God said judgment time is here. And he used his nation coming out of Egypt to be his tool in bringing judgment on the Canaanite, heathen, pagan gods. And we see here that now what God is saying is saying that this little boy... Manasseh is going back to the wickedness prior to God's judgment on that land. It's an astounding, astounding thought. How could a 12-year-old be so privy, so informed about godlessness? Can I tell you something? We need to be praying for this young generation. There's an exposure in this generation to all the godlessness that never has been accessible in the history of mankind. And our young people are under constant assault. And, and we need to be praying here for them because we live in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. And, and it's not getting any brighter all right, it's getting darker. And the scripture allows us to see now this 12-year-old as he's in action. Verse number 3, For he built again the high places which Hezekiah's father had broken down. Again, if my dad was for it, I'm against it. You ever see anybody like that? You know somebody like that? That uh, just said, listen, whatever dad did, I'm doing the opposite. Uh, well, however he lived, I'm going to live the exact opposite of how he lived. That is Manasseh. That's this character. That's his life. That's, that's his, his whole goal is whatever dad did, I want to undo. 
And so the scripture says, as he's building again the high places, which Hezekiah, his father, had broken down, and he reared up altars for Balaam and made groves and worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. Well, Hezekiah tore those down. So the thing that Hezekiah, his daddy, tore down, he's rebuilding. The things that his daddy here built up, he's tearing down. It's like, what in the world is going on in this family, in this home? What's taking place? So let's begin with number one in your notes. Is he deserted the faith of his father. In verse number one and two, it's very clear that... Whatever testimony his father had for righteousness, he wanted nothing to do with it. Now, let me, let me just comfort some parents here that may have some wayward children. I want you to understand that you have a responsibility to, to, to teach your children the way they ought to go. But in the end, guess what? They're going to all give an account of themselves before the Lord. And you might have dreams for a child and right now your heart aches for them because they want nothing to do with God or they've gone far away from the truth of God's word. Or maybe there was an opportunity when they were younger to to be in a local church where they could hear the word of God proclaimed and they have just closed off their, their heart and their mind to the things of God and they said, nope, I'm going another direction. We have illustrations of that in the scripture where godly parents... And now here's the seed of those godly parents. You say, well, Pastor, what about here uh, the mother? All right, well, uh, go to 1 Kings chapter 21 real quick. And here you're going to have an idea of mama. All right, so we, we know Hezekiah pretty much as we've studied his life. But in 1 Kings 21, the companion uh, passage, I think I got, oh, 2 Kings, I'm sorry. Can't read my own writing. 2 Kings 21. And the scripture says, Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 50 and 5 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Hephzibah. Now, Hephzibah is a a wonderful, wonderful name. Uh, The word Hephzibah has to do here with, uh, really, uh, God's pleasure and, 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 and joy and being pleasant. Matter of fact, that word is used for the nation of Israel. The prophet Isaiah is the one that uses it. I'm going to remind you of something. Isaiah is a contemporary with Hezekiah. Uh, why, would Hezekiah why would Isaiah use that name as a title for Israel? And you can find that. I I wrote down the reference there in Isaiah 62, verse number 4. It gives us here, and I'm going to turn there and read it just because it's a, a great description here of God's love for Israel. 60, uh, 62, verse 4. The scripture says, Thou shalt no more be, uh, Termed forsaken, neither shall thy land any more be termed desolate, but thou shalt be called uh, Hephzibah, and thy land Beulah, for the Lord delighteth in thee, and thy land shall be marred. It was a term that God gave to Israel concerning their future and what will be in their lives. And I am sure that if Hezekiah's wife 
we're a bad seed, an ornery character, and that's the only time we find that name in the Bible that Isaiah's not going to use her namesake as a picture of what God says is pleasant and good. So what I'm trying to say is I don't think Manasseh had an excuse. I don't think we can read into the scripture here that his dad and his mom somehow were, were, were the problem. The problem really comes back to Manasseh himself and the fact that he chose another way. And the scripture tells us here that he's the one that deserted the faith of his father. So there's the provision of a godly heritage. And oh, what a blessing that is. And I don't think sometimes children that are raised in churches like this understand um, the advantages that they're under by hearing the Word of God unapologetically proclaimed week in and week out. Can I tell you something? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And when a church is all about a comedy club instead of thus saith the Lord, it might be a little easier for you to listen to as you sit in the seat, but it's not necessarily what God needs for you to hear on a week-by-week basis. I don't grow any other way than the Word. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. John 17, 17. God's word is that which has to be preached and listened to. And when you have a child or a teenager that, boy, you invest in their lives by getting them under the preaching of the word of God, that's going to be an advantage and a help to them because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's how God works, John chapter 17. God is the one here that is at work as the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and drives it into the heart. I I don't know what God does in the life of little young ones uh, that sit in an evening service. We don't have a children's program yet in the evening service, and so these little ones are in the service and we're just preaching here away. You have no idea what God's going to do in their little hearts. But oh, to be in the place where you say, I just want my family under the preaching of the word of God. So God provided for Manasseh a godly heritage. There was a potential of a faithful life. I mean, he had every advantage possible. Let me me remind you of something of Hezekiah's life. Remember when uh, he had this illness that came upon him and he begged God to spare his life. And Isaiah said, you know, God heard your prayer and he's going to give you how many more years? How many remember? Fifteen years. How old is Manasseh? Twelve. All right. So this is three years into the borrowed time. And I tell you what, I believe every day was precious to Hezekiah. I believe, wow, God gave me another day. God gave me another week. God's giving me another year. What a blessing that is. What a joy that is that I have to live for God. And I, you know, there's just something about a child of your old age anyways. It seems like in our family, we got two families. I got the first, you know, five that were uh, born. And that was kind of our family. And and then there's a five-year gap and all of a sudden here comes uh, uh, another caboose. You know, we thought... Lydia was a caboose, and then Sarah came along, and now she's 
a second caboose, all right? And so she's the last one. And, and uh, you're going, well, that's interesting. And then four and a half years later, here comes Jonathan. And we're going, oh, great, three cabooses. And uh, so, you know, these are the unexpected that come later on down the line. And, 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 and the older kids, of course, uh, you know, they'll, they'll remind dad and mom, you know, we didn't live like you live now. Or we didn't get to do that. We, you, you know, Jonathan is spoiled. Jonathan is Joseph, you know, and, uh, you know, Jonathan, I'm sure, gets an earful from his big brothers every time they get together because they are glad to remind them about how tough it was for them and how easy it is for him, you know, and uh, so uh, this is, this, there is something about the son of your old age or something here about that. And I can imagine in Hezekiah's life on this borrowed time, this precious baby, how precious that must have been to him. Wow, not only do I get an extended life, but I get this child to boot. I can't imagine that Hezekiah and his mother, uh, uh, his wife, uh, nurturing this new baby in the ways of God, and yet something never clicked. There was a hunger for a darker side. There was a hunger for the devious, the cultish, the forbidden. And that's where he goes. That's where his heart is. That's what he wants. That's what he craves. It's so obvious because in just a couple verses, we're going to get into sorcery and witchcraft. And you're thinking, what in the world is a young kid interested in all of this satanic, cultish kind of material? But he was primed for it. He was ready for it. He hit the ground running. Just as much as his dad at 25 hit the ground saying, we're going to go for revival. And it's starting right now. And we're tearing down. And we're building up godly things. We're tearing down ungodly things. It was the exact same fervor, but for godless things. He hit the ground running. And God says right out of the chute, the man's evil. I'm sorry, the boy is evil. He's evil. He's wanting to do evil. So he he deserted the faith of his father. The, the, The provision of a godly heritage, the potential of a godly life. That's a that's a sad thought, isn't it? Potential wasted. Potential because of your upbringing. Potential here because of really um the the advantages that you had, whether it was in education. Uh, whether it was just your basic needs and beyond provided for. Think of all that Manasseh received in those first 12 years of life. The son of the king. Uh, what, was, what was available to him in, in, in the realm of education, in the, in the realm of counselors, in the, in the realm here of just his physical needs, spiritual needs. The potential was unbelievable. And the potential was wasted. Because there was nothing internal that was a heart after God. There was nothing without in, within him uh, that was passionate about wanting God. And there might be a young person here, and you're in church for one reason. <laughs> Same reason I was in church when I was young. Because my mom made me. 
And my dad made me. And uh, there was no other option for me. I grew up. Uh, my, my parents never sent me to church, all right? They took me to church. And, uh, and I was there, whether I wanted to be there or didn't want to be there. Now, thankfully, after a couple decades, the gospel wormed its way into this head of mine, and I gloriously was saved as a young adult, and uh, I trusted Jesus as my Savior. And I, I wasn't running on the coattails of mom and dad just because dad was a deacon and just because mom was a, a godly woman in the church. Uh, that doesn't make me a Christian just because I have parents that are Christian. And you may be here as a young person this morning and you may say, well, my grandpa, my grandma believe that or my mom and my dad believe that. Listen, unless you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, there's no heart change and there's no depth to which you will go in your sin. It will take you farther than you want to go. And I'm just warning you here, get the real thing. Trust Jesus Christ Make sure that you know Him as your Savior. Don't go through life pretending. Go, don't go through life here uh, just playing the part. But surrender yourself to the gospel. Become obedient to the gospel. Recognize that you're a sinner that needs a Savior. And all oh, the blessings that come when we bow our knee to Him. So, we have a provision of a godly heritage, the potential of a faithful life, the pride of going one's own way. I don't have any other way to explain this young boy and what he does when he becomes the king. You can just imagine Hezekiah and the great fanfare at the funeral of the great king Hezekiah. And all the mourning of the people. And all the wailing that must have gone on. And all the honors uh, that were heaped upon Hezekiah in his death. And yet now comes this boy king. Sits on the throne. And all of a sudden things coming out of his mouth was quite different than things that came out of dad's mouth. All of a sudden there were some very strange commands that were being ushered. Strange things that were being said. Hey, uh, let's, uh, let's go ahead and do away with the priesthood. We don't really need that, do we? Uh, you know, I, I, I know my dad cut down the groves where they worship the pagan gods, but I think we need to do some planting. Let's get some of these groves growing again. And, and I think we need to expose ourselves to other cultures, and so let's bring in these different gods of, of the Canaanites. Let's bring, let's bring in here, into the land, uh, some of this paganism. And so we see that the absolute pride of life saying, I don't want to go my dad's way, I'm going my own way brought him to ruin. Be very careful with the attitude is that when, you're, when our attitude is, I'm going my way. You know, the world wants us to have it our own way. But let me tell you, there's no peace, there's no joy in having it your own way. The real joy comes when you bow your knee to King Jesus. The real joy and satisfaction in life comes when you recognize that you're a sinner and you need a Savior. And in that moment, your life is transformed as you recognize that His precious blood was shed, not just to cover your sins, but to take them away. And in that transaction where your sin is placed upon Him and His righteousness is placed upon you, you're made a new creature in Christ. You're part of a brand new family. There's a new life. And it's not you striving to do it. It's Christ living His life in and through us. And it's an abundant life. John 10. 
And so we see here a desertion when it comes to the faith of his fathers. Number two, he duplicated the godlessness of the heathen. Let's go back here to Second Chronicles 33. And I want you to see this next verse. So whatever his father believed, he believes the opposite. Whatever his dad tore down, he's rebuilding. What his dad built, he's tearing down. That's just the heart of Manasseh. So he deserted the faith of his father. Number two, he duplicated the godlessness of the heathen. He duplicated the godlessness of the heathen. And and the Bible tells us in verse 2 exactly what he did. But did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, like unto the abominations of the heathen, whom the Lord hath cast out before the children of Israel. First of all, he imitated the abomination of the heathen. You can go to... 2 Kings chapter number 21, and you're going to get more of a detail concerning all the deities and all the godlessness and what he was all uh, uh, involved in. But part of it was in erecting altars to Baal. This is uh, 2 Kings chapter uh, 21, where we see here, this is the chief Phoenician deity that uh, somehow he was curious about and he's establishing in his kingdom. Ashtoreth, uh, that's the, 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 uh, uh, the, the god here that they're seeking after, the female deity uh, representing the sex goddess of fertility. And uh, this goes here to the life of Ahab and, and uh, uh, that uh, fertility cult. And, and Manasseh uh, is introduced here to this Assyrian uh, goddess. And he's establishing a place of worship for her. The Bible also says there in 2 Kings 21 that he worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. So it wasn't enough to have false deities that, that were followed by all the pagans of the land. He also had to worship the sun and the moon and the stars and all the host of heaven. And they became objects of worship for Manasseh. And so we see here the worshiping of the host of heaven. He built altars for these hosts of heaven. And the sad thing is he built them in the two courts of the temple. Think about this. In the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant dwelt, Manasseh said, hey, we don't need that. Let's set up other altars. Let's set up other gods to live in this house. And you and I, we would just even listening to that, it horrifies you as a Christian. Why would they take the house of God and set up false deities? Well, let me just bring this home a little bit. You know what the temple is today? It's our body. As horrible as that is, that physical temple. In the land of Israel, in Jerusalem, that was dedicated there, Second Chronicles 7, when King Solomon here uh, cried out to God, that king that received all the wisdom from the Lord, and the Shekinah glory of God came down and filled the house. Now it's filled with pagan deities. God's been pushed out. And we say, horrible. And yet, Christian, let me ask you, Have you pushed God out of your temple? 
Have you allowed room in your temple for everything but God? Or has, been, has, has God been pushed into the corner? Where you say, well, I've got this little God corner in my life. And I, I make time for God in my life. And here's the time that I make. And all the rest of this temple that I have, I live for me. That's all that Manasseh was doing. He pushed God out and he pushed all the pleasure-seeking gods in. And that's where he dwelled and that's where he lived and that's what he craved. And we see here in Manasseh's life, he imitated the abomination of the heathens. Not only imitated, but look at verse number 3. For he built again the high places which Hezekiah's father had broken down, and he reared up altars of Balaam and made groves and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. You see, he didn't just imitate them himself, for himself, but he also introduced this pagan worship to the people. You see, Hezekiah worked real hard to get that out of the country. Out of, the, out of the land. Boy, you just have to go back a couple chapters and you start seeing verses here uh, where Hezekiah is at the work of destroying the groves, of removing the idols. Matter of fact, we don't have to go back all that far to see what God uh, was doing through the life of Hezekiah in singing a reviving in the land. It's It's unbelievable. And yet now Manasseh comes to the scene and he's going to take them lower than they've ever gone before. He, he limited, uh, imitated the abomination of the heathen. He introduced the pagan worship of the heathen. And he ignorantly served these false deities. I mean, the Bible doesn't say here in verse number 3 that uh, he just erected them, but it actually says he worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. This is not a nominal kind of religious experience for him. This is all out. This is, this is actual worship. It's a, it's a pagan worship, but it's worship. And not only worship, but it's a service. And he saw his life given over to serving all of these abominations. All right, So we have a desertion of his father's faith. He duplicated the godlessness of the heathen. And number three, he defiled the temple and the temple worship. Let's read verse four. The scripture says, Also he built altars in the house of the Lord, whereof the Lord hath said, In Jerusalem shall my name be forever. And he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. And he caused his children to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnom. By the way, that, that is a description of hell that's used in the scripture. Also, he observed times and used enchantments and used witchcraft and dealt with familiar spirits and with wizards. He wrought much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. We're just going to take this last point here this morning and we'll couple it together next week as we keep going. But I want us to see, first of all, the building of pagan altars. He's busy working inside the temple building these pagan altars. Think about it. Who do you get to build pagan altars? Who are the experts that you're going to call upon? 
to build it just right for that pagan deity. All right, you're going to reach into those that are most corrupted and, 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 and most zealous in their paganism, and you're going to invite them into the very house of God. And you're going to ask them to do a construction project in the house of God, building up these altars to worship these pagan deities. And so we see here the building of the pagan altars. And then how horrific in verse number 6, he caused his children to pass through the fire. I've seen different pictures here uh, of uh, this uh, sacrificial worship where they are literally taking their own children and offering. And sometimes uh, the the, the picture is of of a deity with its arms outstretched and there's either a furnace uh, that this is rolling into or a fire that's built below it. But literally they're taking their infants and setting them in the hands of that deity to be burned alive. To show what? To show how dedicated they are to their deity. To show how serious they are how much they're willing to give up the ultimate price, your own flesh and blood. What more could a deity ask? And this is exactly where Manasseh led the people. By the way, his granddad did it too. Who knows? Who knows if Manasseh is, although his granddad was in the grave before he was born, who knows if Manasseh may have tried to learn more about Grandpa and what Grandpa did, old Ahaz, and, and imitate that godlessness instead of the godly father that he was given in Hezekiah. And so the children are burnt. Uh, the, the building uh, of the pagan altars and then the bondage of enchantment and witchcraft. Now, the last half of verse number six is, is really one where we're going, okay, he is full-blown into the occult. He's full-blown into uh, the wizardry and full-blown into here uh, enchantments and witchcraft and, and, and dealing with the demonic. And if there was a Ouija board in that day, he would have been on it. Uh, I mean, just immersing himself in everything that's uh, a false power, a satanic power. And that's the realm that he lived. He, he'd be the one that lived in the, uh, in my day, it was the, the dr- Dungeons and Dragons, or at least when I was a youth pastor, that's what I preached against all the time. You know, uh, I don't know what it is in this day and age, what these young people are all immersed in. But I tell you, uh, that's coming through Hollywood loud and clear. And it's something here that our young people kind of look at and kind of play with and they don't realize the danger of opening the door into that occult world and what what they are doing to their own spiritual life. And so when we look at this King Manasseh this morning, what we are seeing is someone that has totally walked away from everything that he would have known to be pure, righteous, and holy, and walked into an evil, vile, godless world. And the question is, is there any hope for somebody like that? Pastor, is there any way back? How can you sacrifice your own child? How can you be bloodthirsty? We're not even into all the text yet, but uh, I mean, we're going to learn yet about how more despicable he gets before he repents. But let me tell you something. Let me give you some hope out there. There is a way back. 
there is a possibility of reviving. If there is an individual that will recognize that they are wrong and, and, and they are sinners before God and they're willing to repent and cry out to God, God is willing to hear. And that's exactly the story of Manasseh. Horrible start, glorious finish. And let me tell you, some of the most wonderful Christians I know had horrible starts, but glorious finishes. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of Crown Point Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.